Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simonchov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on Israel News Talk Radio. I am so happy to be back, and it feels wonderful. It feels great, and Shana Tova, Happy New Year, Brave New World, Fresh New World, Crisp New World, and um, it's all good. Okay, so it's been a long time, and I know that we're not supposed to push away the good, but I have to tell you, the holidays this year, they felt there were just so many of them. I think they threw in about three or four extra holidays, and of course, it was only seven months since last Rosh Hashanah. That's how it felt. It has been a long time since we're together. I had the idea that perhaps I would do a show in between, and you know what? The day's just ran away. Let me adjust this mic here. Now we're very intimate moments. Wow, it is nighttime in the U.S. listening in. Hi. Hi, America. Boketov Eretz Israel. Nigeria is with us this morning. And here, this is, I haven't seen the Sudan. Wow, the Sudan is listening in this morning. The U.K. Wow. What hasn't happened in the U.K. in the last couple of months? You have a whole new um, monarchy, and this morning you have a new prime minister. It should all go well. Canada is with us today. Hi, Canada. My voice always gets mellow and soft when I talk to Canada because they're so nice. And Norway is with us. And again, we have Iran. Happy, and I'm counting on you, Iran. Be with us each week. So anyway... We're back, ready, fresh, prayed out. We're counting on his blessings. We know we've done good. And it's been a long time. I don't know about your holidays. This year was particularly poignant while it was very different. Um, many of you listening in, both to the live show and on uh you know, via podcast, know that I spend a lot of my holidays and Shabbosim, the Shabbos is Shabbat, Shabbatot, uh, in the community of Beit El. And this year I was there for Rosh Hashanah. And usually I don't stay. I usually stay home alone. My husband stays there. He loves the prayer in this particular community. And I come home and do my own meditation, my own silent prayer here in my Jerusalem home, and I must tell you, the ruach, the spirit of that community, that Betel community, and do your Googling, was so magnetic that I suddenly decided I was going to be there for, indeed, Yom Kippur. I also stayed there for Sukkot. In the middle of all of this, my sister from America, she lives actually in a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts. She came to visit. And what made this so special is my sister and I have never been particularly close, only two years apart. I'm the big sister, um, certainly not the more mature one, but we had never spent any time growing up together. And this was her first trip to Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, without accompanying my mother, 
who is quite elderly and um, could not make the trip. And my sister came on her own. And I have to tell you, I'm sharing. How intimate does the show get? Um, I was nervous. I think she was nervous. We don't have a big history of, you know, touchy-feely, let's talk about it. Let's talk about our youth and share and grow. I have to tell you, I discovered my sister. My sister discovered me. Just last night, I sent her a meme of Lucy and Ethel from the I Love Lucy show on a road trip together. (laughs) And I said, this is us and we're going to do it again. And it was so wonderful. Yeah, we did a couple of the touristy things, but we played a lot of Scrabble. We laughed a lot. We cooked a lot. I drove. I never use my car. I have to tell you, my car sits in the driveway, sort of like a piece of jewelry, uh, not such a good piece of jewelry. And it sits there. <laughs> and I was driving constantly until, of course, the brakes died. And then we had a loner car. We really had a lot of fun. I want to talk to you a little bit about Simchas Torah this year. I don't know how your Simchas Torah went. Um, confession, full confession. When you don't have little kids or grandchildren around you, um, certainly for a lot of women, a Torah observant women, while Simchas Torah is very meaningful and very critical, I mean, here it is, we're dancing with the ultimate, the ultimate reward for our our tethering our souls, our spirits, and our direction to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God in heaven. You know, you go to shul and there's a lot of dancing, but it just has never really spoken to me since my children are grown and out of the house. I go, I pray, but I kind of sit on the sides. So this year, I found myself in the holy community of Dolev, in Ramat Beit Shemesh, and I went to Simcha's Torah there because I have grandchildren there. Again, left the husband, left him in Beit El, went with my sister, visited my children, and we were there. Something happened. Surrounded by wonderful, um, spirited, truly God-centered religious women, I found myself dancing. I have to tell you, I've had knee replacements. I happen to have tendonitis in my right foot. Anybody feeling sorry for me yet? I danced and I danced. And whereas these women at the beginning of the evening were strangers, as we whirled and twirled and laughed and hugged and clapped and bounced into each other, and some of us were more graceful and some of us were less, I was stunning, a real, um, you know, who is it, Anna Pavlova on the dance floor? <laughs> it was wonderful. And I went home high. And you know what happened the next morning? I went to synagogue again. And these weren't strange women anymore. They were my friends. And we danced and we cheered. And of course, they have this big, they have these big Simchas Torah um, kiddishes. Uh, they're big spreads, big food spreads in all the synagogues traditionally on Simchas Torah morning. And I have to tell you, yeah, I was not so good as the, uh, I'm just telling you like what my, <laughs> what my month's been like. We also celebrated on Sukkot, the 70th birthday of my holy husband, Ronnie Zaltzman. And that was a lot of fun. We did it in the sukkah, and it was wonderful. His children were here from both Israel and Beit El, and my children were here, and good friends. And it was really, really very meaningful. And it was a celebration of the time and the gifts and all that God bestows on us for a life well 
lived. And really, we don't take it for granted. I had a thought recently, and I wanted to share this with you. Everybody's listening in from different countries. It's interesting. Uh, first of all, if you have any thoughts about anything that I say, anything you'd like to share with me, tell me your particular experience, whether it be Simchastora, whether it be religious, whether it be any of the topics we cover on this show. Uh, you want to know a link to any of the articles that I actually um, take from, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Very self-explanatory. Happy to get the mail. Happy to write back. Um, one more humorous thing I did want to tell you before we get on to more serious topics. And I discovered I, you know, I'm a diagnostician because I'm Jewish and we diagnose everybody. Okay. If we are, if we're not doctors, it's because we just, we're all meant to be. But anyway, my sister has a condition that I diagnosed her with and it's called Hebraic Tourette's syndrome, meaning um, Tourette's syndrome, it's not a joke where people, it, it had a lot to do with language and impulse control. And I think it's a brain disorder. If I'm incorrect, please let me know. Anyway, my sister would glean certain phrases in Hebrew that she liked very much. It was musical to her and she would just burst them out. And any time she felt like saying something in Hebrew and it didn't matter. A lot of it was completely non sequitur. A lot of it, she'd be in the supermarket looking at a jar of honey and saying, Lamalo, why not? But she didn't know that it was why not. She just liked it. We went to get our nails done because what else is there for us to do? And when she liked the job, she said to the manicurist, my Hebrew, the Hebrew listeners will love this. She said to her, Yoter Ma'od. Yoter Ma'od, which means uh, it was more very or very more. It was just very funny. She would just say things in Hebrew and had us roaring. Um, I want to know what you think about this. Do you think that there is such a thing as an addiction to anger when people are just angry and more comfortable or comfortable in an angry mode, almost like protecting themselves from not being disappointed. If we behave disappointed all the time, well, we won't get caught by surprise. I was wondering, because I had a uh, experience these last few weeks, I'm going to just tell you this in the last moment, where I was, I was very angry about some work that had gone on in our building. And I could not be placated. I was just angry. And every time somebody talked about it and somebody wanted to, anyway, I was very, very angry and I expressed it to somebody. When I told my husband the story, he really looked at me with, with great disappointment. And I could see in his face that I had choices, that I could have reacted one way. And I was almost bragging at how, clever I was with my rage and how filled with warnings and, and uh, recrimination. And after I saw my husband's face, I wrote this person a note and I apologized. And I apologized. It doesn't matter what I said. And he wrote back and he was very nice and very touched. And the point of this is it is really important for us to surround ourselves with good people who will encourage us to reach for our better selves. My name is Andrea Simintov. I'll see you on the other side.
And we're back. And we're back and we're back. We're so back. My name is Andrea Simintov. You are listening to Pull Up a Chair on Israel News Talk Radio. Just leave the computer on there, up in that search engine, day and night. You'll get the you'll get the skinny. Talking about the skinny, um, before we meet next week, we will have had and sealed the elections. We will have sealed the envelope on the new Israeli elections. Uh, notice the silence behind the mic. We are not. Uh, you got a lot of good shows on Israel News Talk Radio discussing it in great detail. I still don't know to whom I'm going to cast my precious vote, but I'm kind of, I'm wavering, but it's a good waiver. It's a healthy waiver. It's an Israel-loving, Jew-adoring waiver. All right. And the other thing, just pay attention. Have you noticed that we have not yet and will not mention Kanye West? Okay. We're going to keep this show holy and fun and, um, both politically, politically, how many syllables are even in that word? And um, I'm feeling too good being back. I don't want to get down to the ugly. You know, I came across a wonderful, um, oh, by the way, my sister and I, we also went to a comedy show in the Jerusalem Theater, and it was very good, starring uh, Elon, Elon Gold. Elon Gold. He's very good. It was for Comedy for Kobe, holy organization, the Kobe Mandel Foundation. Google it. Look it up. Not on my uh, script today. But uh, Elon Gold is an American Jewish comedian. And he was, it was just a real let your hair down kind of a night and a lot of fun. And of course, I was showing off for my sister. I wanted to show her I said to one of my friends, so I'm bringing her to something, to a cultural event, because I want her to see that Israel has a lot of culture. And she said, where are you bringing her? I said, to a comedy show. My friend was not impressed. Okay. Um, Came across a wonderful thought. And I don't think it's that original, so I don't really know to whom I should credit it. But it says, while it's important to act properly between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur... We all know we have this uh, this dread, this awe. It is perhaps more important to act properly between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Give that some thought, huh? Um, this is not the Devar Torah section, but nevertheless, it's very important that we state right now, as we go on to our other work, you know, this is Parsha Noah, the portion of Parsha's Noah, the um Torah section where we talk about Noah. Remember Noah and the flood and Noah and the ark and Noah and the rainbow. So the big question is, you know, why the rainbow? Um, People are always posting photographs of rainbows. And I came across this idea. It's not of our Torah. It's very important for our lives. You know, the sages, they tell us that the the decree of that flood came to the world. It was a result of prevailing robbery and the kind of oppression we placed on one another. And it was all rooted in jealousy and hatred. Now, I was thinking about that anger thing that I was speaking about before. You know, when you're blind with anger, nobody could have spoken to me at those moments. And it was only in retrospect that I took back and I said, you know, I was in a dangerous, dangerous place. 
So the rainbow is comprised, I didn't really know this, but it's comprised of seven colors, but each one is actually very separate from the other. And, but still, it kind of possesses this magnificent, this harmonious appearance. You know, there's places on it that it's a little sharper, a little better defined, and then it's um, sort of hazier in other areas. So what can we learn from this? It, even though man's thoughts and our characters and our influences and actually everything about us is different from the next person, God is telling us that it is possible for human beings to achieve peace and brotherhood. It is not a pipe dream. It is, it, the world was designed, was, was based on that. Not everything that is discrepant or even discordant has to bring about dispute and controversy. On the contrary, it's that contrast of those different colors of the rainbow that produces the splendid beauty. It's not one color. It is deliberately, it is dafka, comprised of all that is different. And um, that's a nice way to enter our Shabbos. You're welcome. Okay. Went out to dinner with a friend. Well, I've been very busy this last month. You know, for somebody who really likes to hide at home and never get out of her pajamas, I had to get dressed about three or four times. And, you know, I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to go out because of all my own baggage. Um, feeling a little sorry for myself. Uh, this was, I went out with a friend um, who is visiting Israel, visits quite frequently, and she spent Sukkot, I know, maybe Sukkot in the Alps, and Rosh Hashanah here and there, and her life looked from my perspective to be this incredible Disney fantasy, and I did not really want to go out because I wasn't feeling such a, you know, I think I was holding my front door this week at one point was held on with duct tape. And I just didn't really feel like somebody who had spent Sukkot, being with someone who had spent Sukkot in the Alps. But, you know, you never really know the true impact that you have on those around you. And I say that for others who have had an enormous impact on me. People need to share smiles. You know, we never know how much our kindness, a moment of kindness, a moment of kindness on the bus, a phone conversation, inviting somebody over for a Shabbos meal that you kind of said, I don't know if we have enough to eat. Do we have enough challah this week? And yet we invite somebody and years later, we find out that the impact of that invitation on just that day changed an entire life. You know, we don't know how much somebody needs that long hug or that press on the shoulder or a deep talk. What I'm saying is today, this minute, after the show, of course, don't wait to be kind. And I'm speaking to myself, of course, but we have kind of a friendship, a friendship circle here. You know, we shouldn't wait for someone else to be kind to us. We shouldn't wait for better circumstances for to change or to have others change. Just we can be kind because we never know how much somebody needs it. And even more, just like 
choosing to be angry, angry, choosing to be sad. We can choose to be kind, magnanimous, and put ourselves out. Came across a lovely um, discussion. We, um, my ex-husband, um, who lives in Israel and has changed careers, um, was a gem dealer. We, we sold precious stones. And I used to find it fascinating that pearls are the only precious stone that come from a live source. Rubies, sapphires, emeralds, tanzanite, um, let's go on, topaz. All of these beautiful stones come from inanimate stone sources. And yet you have a pearl and it comes from something that's alive. Well, think about this for a moment, that a pearl is actually a healed wound. Pearls, beautiful, lustrous, multicolored. They're the products of pain, the result of a foreign or unwanted substance entering the oyster, such as a parasite or a grain of sand. The pictures are beautiful. Google pearls and you'll see them come in so many forms. You know, the inside of an oyster shell is a shiny substance called nakar or nakre. I don't really know how it's pronounced. And when a grain of sand enters, this nakar, we'll call it, the cells go to work and they cover that grain of sand with layers and more layers to protect the defenseless body from the oyster. And as a result, a beautiful pearl is formed. I happen to be very partial to pearls. They speak to my soul. An oyster that has not been wounded in any way does not produce pearls because a pearl is a healed wound. I think that that is something really, really, really worth thinking about. It really speaks to me. I'm just looking very quickly because before we go to our next section, came across an article in um, in uh, Psychology Today that talks about whether or not hope can be learned. And um, it was a beautiful article about the daughter of a survivor of the Nazi war machine whose mother went through Auschwitz with hope, imagined dinners with her friends afterwards, and she lived as others died. And I just thought that that was a very interesting thought. Perhaps on next week we'll talk a little bit more about it, how some of us uh, fared during the COVID pandemic and others suffered so greatly during that terrible time and the role that hope plays on our every single day. And uh, let's see, anything else we want to talk about before? Oh, yeah. This week, deliberately, we're not talking about anti-Semitism. What's going on, certainly in the West, the mainstream, a lot to talk about. I would love to get notes from you, from your respective communities, to tell me some of the things that are indeed shocking you. Because I know this week, totally gobsmacked, signs hanging on the FDRI uh, drive, uh, defaming Jews. Wow, my name is Andrea Simitov. That was a little non sequitur. And guess what? We will meet on the other side.
And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'm prefacing this. I don't know, it's not an apology, but I just felt the last segment was like a little bit choppy. I see that my excitement at being back behind this mic and kind of crazy, whether it be a cosmic connection, is um, I'm feeling a little bit manic, but a healthy manic, a happy manic, a joyous manic. And so if it's coming across, I hope it's not coming across negatively. I hope that you are as excited as I am. Crazy. The only thing that I was upset about not doing last week's show was that was Parsha Bereshis, the the opening of the book of Genesis, where we talk about the creation of the world. So I guess you'll have to wait till next year for me to get my take on it. I hope I'll be less uh, distracted that I can do a show for that. But thankfully, today we're talking about the portion of Noah, or as we say, Parsha Noach. And in this week's Torah reading, um, we, as we mentioned before, it describes the rainbow as becoming the symbol of God's covenant with humankind, that the world will not be destroyed by another flood. So the appearance, I think I called this, I think when I posted this show on Facebook, I called it Why the Rainbow? And I think that that's a very important point. You know, we get very, um, very Woodstock about it. Oh, a rainbow means peace. It does mean peace, but it's peace with a caveat. Stick with me. All right. So God says with the rainbow that the world is not going to be destroyed by another flood. And in this narrative of Noah, and you know who I'm talking about, Noah, and the appearance of the rainbow and Noah's emergence from the ark does not mean that the rainbow was created then. According to Rabbi Wine, who uh, brings down the rabbinic tradition and those unchanging laws of nature, the rainbow existed from the time of original creation itself. So what is most significant, however, is that the Torah points out that Noah, when he saw this rainbow, he recognized the great significance to humanity and It is not to be observed and thought of as being merely another great uh, phenomenon that falls under the umbrella called nature. Rather, when human beings see a rainbow, we are supposed to be reminded it's a moment to stop, gasp, and take stock of God's covenant with us and how we are all descended from one family that was the... um, the, the, the founding of humankind as we know it today. One of the interesting things about the rainbow is that when Jews view it, we are called upon to recite a blessing. This is meant to teach us that the wonders of nature are constant reminders of our relationship to our creator and our obligations to that same creator and our obligations to humankind. We're never supposed to become um, lackadaisical, jaded when confronted by the miracles, whether it be a waterfall, whether it be, whether it be a stone, a pebble that has been created over um, thousands and thousands of years. We are supposed to bless it. Because of this, Jewish tradition teaches us that we're not to stare at length or directly at a rainbow. Why? 
because a rainbow represents God's presence in our world and should not be subjected to prolonged stares. You know, it's a remez, a hint, just a tinge of the idea that nobody, what was it, God says to Moshe, nobody shall see my face and live. A rainbow is the avak, the dust of God's holiness. This lesson is true in all areas of human life and our relationships to indeed nature. Um, there is a faith. I don't even know what's in practice today, but it's pantheism. Pantheism um, kind of proposed the idea that nature itself is God. Uh, I've been listening to some podcasts about different, um, actually different. I'm, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on cults. Don't ask me why. But anyway, um, a lot of this kind of overlaps. There is a misrepresentation in many um religions between the true the relationship between the creator and what was created judaism and this is very critical that we gloam onto this teaches us that we are to see the wonders of the planet that we inhabit as part of god's incredible scheme in creating the world and that we react to seeing these wonders through a prism of torah and that god has bestowed these miracles upon us. Looking at nature without Torah insight and a background is again, kind of reverting to a pantheism. That is the meaning of the Mishnah in Avot, the book of Avot, that one should not interrupt one's studies of Torah in order to admire a beautiful phenomenon of nature. Nature is to be viewed through knowledge and an understanding of Torah and not as something that is distinct and unrelated. So seeing nature um, without kind of two teaspoons of a moral backdrop, it diminishes the wonders of nature and the grandeur of the world in which we live. A rainbow without the meaning of Hashem um, and God's relationship to Noah loses much of its beauty and a great deal of its meaning. Imagine seeing it and saying, what does this mean? But in the Talmud, we find that great and noble people were themselves compared to the rainbow because a noble person um, can, can indeed link the nature of the creator that fashions that person, everything in life and in nature as well. Um, and indeed, our judgment of other people should always be viewed from the perspective of Torah and eternity. So we've spoken about Noah. You know, it's not the purpose of this program. I'm, I'm not teaching the Parsha. My expect, not my expectation, but I'm assuming that we all know, whether it be superficially or in great depth, the story of this week's uh, portion. So in concluding the portion, you know, it races very, very fast, the book of Beratius, um, the story in Genesis. So the concluding portion in this week's Torah reading deals with the society that built the great tower, you know, the tower of Babel or Babel, and the beginning of the lifetime and accomplishments of our father, Avraham. Um, just as a very uh, an aside, you know, like when a baby is learning to talk, you say it's baby's babble and stop babbling already. It comes indeed from the Torah portion, babble. 
Somebody who talks and it doesn't make any sense is babbling. So what is described in the Torah is the creation of a totalitarian society ruled by dictatorship, fear, and imposed thought and speech control. Very scary stuff. We're going to hear a lot of things that we can indeed perhaps tie, link to our today's woke uh, woke mindset. The Torah itself sums itself up, the entire situation indeed prophetically. Quote, and the society itself spoke only one language and the few same words. Here you have a description of the destruction of minority opinion, freedom of speech, and the right to be different and individualistic. In short, according to Rabbi Wine, I love this, he does the research for me, you have the description of North Korea, communist China, Cuba, Venezuela, Nazi Germany, and the former Soviet Union. You have the Orwellian uh, treaties, 1984. This was paraded before us as biblical literature. In such a society, truth, faith, optimism, hope, stopped in its tracks, cannot flourish. When the state or government controls the speech, language, and culture of the people that they govern, there's very little room for the advancement of faith and for societal growth generally. And lest you think I am talking about ancient history, we're talking about the last hundred years, modern history. We can touch this. The words that the Torah uses to describe the Tower of Bavel, Migdal Bavel, they're strikingly simple, simple, extremely accurate. One language and the same few words. This reflects an inability to tolerate other opinions and different, and different words. It's the reason that Avraham is thrown into a furnace of fire simply because he dares to be different and expound the idea of monotheism in a society of enforced paganism. It's not for nothing that we pride ourselves in being B'nai Avraham, the children of Abraham, and willing to stand up alone even against the so-called majority in today's Jewish world. This might feel uncomfortable, it might sound uncomfortable, there may be an introduction of the ick factor. But unfortunately, so many of us in this world have lost our way in the name of false gods and bankrupt ideals. Are we indeed subject to totalitarianism, the attitudes and behaviors towards religion, and indeed the Orthodox Jewish world? Just as our father Avraham persevered and overcame the society of Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Babel, it's up to us to address and live honestly and truthfully despite political correctness, cancel culture, and indeed social coercion. So <clears throat> take a sip of your coffee glass of wine or winding it down, but not yet. Stay with me on this. When Abraham, let me call him Avraham, confided in Hashem that he was concerned 
about his descendancy. God assures him that not only will his descendants be from his own offspring and not from the offspring of his servants, but they will be of good character like the stars. Using stars, God shows Abraham in concrete terms the ideal reciprocal relationship that should ideally exist between men. The stars, like the colors of the rainbow that I've mentioned, are also different from one another, and yet there exists a beautiful harmony among the multitude. I think about this when I step. I always know what time Shabbos ends because I have all the newspapers and all the newsletters. But nine times out of ten, I step outside to see the stars and use that as my barometer for when the Holy Sabbath has left us. Like the stars, there should be love, peace, and unity, ideally between men, in an effort to serve Hashem. You know, when the Jews left Mitzrayim, Hashem sanctified them, them, us. He showed Moshe the silver crescent and told him, just a little silver sliver of moon said to him, look out for this reappearance and consecrate the beginning of your months. Israel herself is likened to the moon and in that the moon renews itself. Israel, in effect, has been commanded to notice or realize the fresh birth of the moon and thus undergo a similar spiritual and moral rejuvenation monthly. Hashem wishes for a cohesive, peaceful, and harmonious society. We're provided with three different Torah dimensions regarding man's goals and behavior as individuals and as members of society. The first perspective I'm speaking about is exemplified by the bow. It expounds the view that man was created with a uniform societal goal. In this dimension, it's not individuality that's important. No, mankind's value as a group. And the second dimension addresses the role of man as an individual, but only after society's conditions are satisfied. Just as each star has a unique shape. I don't really like thinking about space very much, but you know, this really brings the majesty home to our respective souls. Each star has its unique shape. It has a consistency. It has an energy. Each person was created with different bodies, different talents, and indeed different inclinations. Man must recognize that his very uniqueness creates a goal or a mission that only he can fulfill. What's the third? The third dimension of the moon, with its perpetual renewal, teaches us that men, both as individuals and members of a group, must constantly pursue higher spirituality through, among others, other things, learning, self-discipline, and refinement of our behaviors. Hashem has proclaimed that Israel should be a momlechet kohanim, a kingdom of priests. And just as a Kohen has been selected to dedicate himself to the sacred divine service, 
the entire Jewish nation has been selected to serve Hashem. This can only be accomplished by integrating these Torah values into our daily lives. It feels so good to be back. Shabbat Shalom, Umevorach from Jerusalem. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.